Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Savage Starlight, the officially unofficial podcast for The Last of Us on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking season one, episode three, long, long time. Uh, Aaron, I don't know about you, but on second watch, this episode somehow got better. I was noticing a lot more of the little details. Uh, how, how are you feeling? Yeah, like I, I, I think people might have detected that I felt a little disconnected from the episode, where it's like I saw that it was good and that I agreed with the change it made from the video game, um, and you know, I, I, I saw the parts, but it didn't really affect me. You know, and I thought that was weird. It's like, I don't know why, but the other thing is I was having a bit of a two screen experience. This is why set and setting is so important, where I was trying to keep an eye on the Bengals Chiefs game uh, muted in the corner and then my main eyes on. And it was just like a real bummer of a game because it was so good. And then (laughs) I was like for the last 45 minutes, I was seeing it, you know, interspersed with this Uh TV show. And you're trying and, to take notes and all kinds of things. And, I, and and there's like, it looks like there's some adventures in officiating, but I don't know what's going on because everything's unmuted. And it's just like that, that, that disappointment with the outcome of the game, I think, blended in because I've, I've gotten two additional watches of this because um, I, I, the second time I watched it, I felt like I just didn't. I saw like a black and white version of this fucking episode through a mm. cheesecloth or something because it fucking really walloped me. Yeah. And then the third time I watched it, I really started to pay attention to all the little themes and things that they were doing and setting things up and like little contrasts and things. This is a minor mm-hmm. example. Like, you know, when Bill and Frank first meet and have that dinner, they're set opposed in this long table. And then in their last meal, they're now sitting side by side. Um, mm-hmm. Just little things like that. Then the, the argument uh, that Bill and Frank have about let me love the things I love the way I want to love, you know, um, yeah, that they pays have such off at contrasting styles of love. Right. And then, you know, when Frank's asking Bill to honor his, his last request and, you know, Bill's understandably having difficulty understanding how he can do such a thing. And he brings it around. It's like, you know, do you love me? Well, love me how I want you to. Mm-hmm. And that stuff was just extraordinarily powerful. And, uh, it, I, when I was, I think somewhere through the second, second watch through, I was like, these sons of bitches have essentially recreated the first 15 minutes of up except for, yeah. for every minute of screen time, they've given it 10 or something uh-huh. like that. Yeah. Cause it lasts and, about 40 seconds and up, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it, and it, and it, and it hits, I think it hits all that harder, but it's just such a mm-hmm. great, like, you know, two characters that you don't know shit about other than. They're off in the wilderness, and they have the, the taste for 60s, 70s, and 80s music. And turn them into real people, and just with so many glances and words. Like, all those questions I think we ask, like, it's like, you know, how did Larry, Larry how did Frank know that Bill was receptive to his room? How did he, you know, how did he clock Bill and all that stuff? Like, that, those all had answers that people had sat and thought about. Mm-hmm. and gotten input on and when you're watching it with the knowledge of that it all plays yeah uh, 
Yeah, the, yeah, the I, official podcast is really good on that topic. Yes. They they really go over it well, almost too well in some ways. Because I'm like, man, do I even need to talk about it now if they're going to do it? But I I have sure. a lot of other thoughts on it, so hopefully we'll get into that. But yeah, it's so so powerful this episode of TV. I and I. I don't know. I see a lot of people like kind of worrying, well, are we going to do enough with Joel and Ellie? Like, man, just we're not even a third of the way through the series at this point. It it's we have plenty of time, plenty of time to get to the Joel and Ellie stuff. This actually informs what we should be thinking about Joel quite a bit if you're paying attention. And that's that's the part that I love about it. It's it's both a beautiful story, but it's also related directly to our main protagonist. And yes. they've somehow managed to just nail that. That's what I thought was really incredible, too. The fact that they tie so much of the emotion and, and what you learn about this episode into the Joel character directly. But we also got a fair amount of character development on the Ellie Joel front. Yeah. You know, I think by the uh, end of the where... episode, you kind of forget how much is actually going on with Joel and Ellie yes. this episode because they are really right. bonding. And that final scene of them driving away in the truck really like puts a stamp on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, uh, I, I again, I think they're doing everything right. I thought this is such a great episode, especially since, and I, I stand by this and the game, I think the reveal that Frank is Bill's lover is treated as a bit of a joke, like this gruff survivalist, you know, hmm. dude that's like emotionally constipated and hates everyone that he had it's like you know when you you reveal this because you can choose you find his his uh, you know you find frank's so should we talk about that's i, I guess well, anyway yeah that <laughs> Actually, might be spoilery like, we... but mm-hmm. well no it's not spoilery because i i've thought a lot about this and i'm like i'm i'm yeah we're going to talk about the actual thing from the video game to compare and contrast it because like there's there's no fucking way it can be a spoiler i played both the video games like there's not going to be zombie Frank and zombie Bill. No, that no, no, no. I, I don't mean a future spoiler. I mean, for people who wanted to go and play the game, because the story is very different hmm. here. Um, it has a similar outcome, but yeah, and, and he's boy. a similar character, but it's, I it's don't know how different. I feel about protecting the virtue of, of game of, of a 10 year old game. Yeah. You know, it'd be like not talking about either, Darth but... Vader being Luke's dad because, Oh, what if those people have, well, fucking, you should have gotten around to it. You well, know, one of my, one of my points here for people who are like, well, it wasn't like the game. And so I don't like it is, well, the game's still there to go play. And so like, sure. I don't want to ruin that experience for people who may decide that they want to go do that. But to be fair, but, it's but been ten is, years, right? So, and, and Neil and Craig got it exactly right. The the uh, Billtown segment of the game was really fun. Of you trying to first uh, by yourself get through these demented traps, and then you yeah. team up with Bill and like, Ellie's busting Bill's chops the whole fucking time, and it's a laugh riot, and it's super exciting, pulse pounding. But that's because you are navigating all these action obstacles. Mm-hmm. If you take that away, there's like the runtime. It's it's just very it's very thin. What there's what's actually happening here? It's just an excuse to keep. Yeah. So like they recognize that it's like well if we do this build town thing straight up, it's like that's just not going to play. It's very so, little story there. Yeah. That that's kind of why I I, I want to talk about. Um, and I guess if you don't want to hear any spoilers for the game, fast forward to the first commercial break or whatever, because I'm I'm going to talk about it. In the game, uh, you know, Bill and and Frank get together, of course, but you find that Frank has escaped 
or left uh and 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 uh, a little ways from bill's town he's uh you, you find this body who's hung himself and you find a note that says that you know uh him and bill had a big fight and you know frank was tired of his shit and he decided to leave him and make for the quarantine zone and got bit and then hung himself on the way and he leaves this note behind that says, Bill, I doubt you'll ever find this note because you were too scared to ever make it to this part in town. But if for some reason you did, I want you to know that I hated your guts. I grew tired of this shitty town, of your set-in-your-ways attitude. I wanted more from life than this than you could ever, uh, and you could never get that. This is the three-year point in like Frank and Bill's relationship on the, where Frank is mm-hmm. so fucking tired of Bill worried more about dying than living that I do believe that Frank is this close to being like, I'm fucking out of here. I'm going to the quarantine zone because this guy's just fucking crazy and he's stifling. Mm-hmm. This Bill in our television universe flexed and let Frank have that love that he wanted to show to his environment. Whereas video game Frank and my, you know, with this new information, I'm going to guess never did mm-hmm. to where things got worse and worse and work and Frank eventually left him. And I just think that's such a. It's such a cool, like, you know, little, like, you know, butterfly flapping its wings, you know, instead of having this, like, bitter. And and, and the video game version of Bill's got to be said is quite a bit nastier and yeah. uh, misanthropic, right? Because um, oh, yeah. he didn't have Frank or he didn't allow Frank to let the strawberries in to his life. Yeah, and the thing I love about this episode is it provides so much more context, right? Because you could never really get that from the game like you couldn't get that oh this was a, a pivotal moment um there there was a, a thing here that was just destroying this relationship uh yeah. other than just like yeah he's a prepper i mean mm-hmm. and this is a crazy psychotic world what do you expect um mm-hmm. it it doesn't allow you the space to explore a full relationship and and the love that could have existed in the game and did in the show i just think it's a more hopeful more loving and better all around story um for oh, yeah. bill and frank i i don't want just more darkness i want a little bit of that light right and yeah boy there's plenty of darkness in this world where we're gonna get to even more darkness we've seen a lot of darkness already yeah give me a little bit of light because man yeah. the show needs it and honestly the world needs it yeah like I said it elevated what I think was kind of like a one note joke in the video game uh-huh. and I don't know maybe Neil would disagree with that but i'm like anytime you introduce this guy and you have a note that's like you know they had this relationship and you can choose to give it to him or not and all that it's like to me it's like there's a 60 second har har turns out bill was gay i mean that's just Hmm. that's just i don't know maybe it's just a twist make you think but i always took it as kind of like something that uh was catering to i don't know the gamer point of view at the time but uh Hmm. so yeah obviously this is better this is this is a lot better, and from a storytelling perspective, um, it it uh, blows the other out of the water. Although, like I said, I don't regret. You know, it's not, it's not like I wish they did Bill's Town this way. I don't wish that Bill's Town was an unskippable fifty minute love affair between Bill and Frank before. It I get wouldn't to, have worked you know, in the game. Yeah, yeah you want action for scenes, precisely want... that same reason. People would be like, "Oh my god, how can I not skip this?" You know. Yeah, yeah. So, also, again, we got to call it Billville, right? We can't say Bill's Town. Billville? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I like I, mean, I know that. it's Lincoln, but yeah, Billville is the, the proper it's term. Officially, it's officially Billville now, for sure. 
Uh, and I, also, I just think you can always go back and play the game, right? Like, if you want that story, yeah, if like you, you said, want the yeah. fuck you, Bill, I hate your guts, I'm leaving story, go play the game. It's still there. It doesn't change a damn yeah. thing. All it does is adds to it. Yeah. Uh, or you can just skip the point where <laughs> as soon as Larry Storm, or not Larry, Frank storms out and says, I'm fuck you, I'm tired of your shit. Just fast forward like 35 minutes uh-huh. and boom, there you go. <laughs> It's, it's 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 right. it's essentially a video game where you skip or, or the yeah shut shut it off and load up your your save at Billville and you're good. Someone needs to do a, a, a remaster where they they cut the point and you just play the bill the Billville segment mm-hmm. and then seamlessly splice it back in. It's like a despecialized. I don't know. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, I, yeah. I get three missing... and a half hours of unskippable combat for all you cinema <laughs> <Right>. fans. <laughs> I, I do understand like missing some of the the action sequences because there are some cool ones. I, sure. I do like the fridge moment. Uh, that stuff is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it just as as a episode of television, it really wouldn't have worked very well. And I just uh, they 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 talk about it in the main pod. No, no, this was on the uh, behind the episode, the little video feature they have where. Neil and Craig get together, and when they're talking about deviations from the video game, it's like, well, is this the same? or worse than what happens in a video game and if it's that then they go with what the video game does but if there's an option it's they think objectively better they go with that and that's like yeah like if it, even if it's just the same different is not a virtue if it's the same mm-hmm. we should probably go with what worked and what the people are that what the existing fans are familiar with and that's man because like some of the adaptations i think have gone haywire that i've seen in the last decade or two find difference as a virtue like oh we don't we want to subvert fans expectations we won't don't want sure. to know what the no no what fulfill our expectations don't fucking subvert it just because unless that's a better yeah so i i these guys yeah. just feel like they have a solid understanding of adaptation like i just really impressed with neil Druckmann not really having an ego going into this and um it's a good partnership it's a hell of a partnership mm-hmm <laughs> Reminds yeah. me a lot of Lindelof and Perota on the the last of or the leftovers, right? Uh, wh- what do you think about speaking of the leftovers? What do you think about uh, people declaring this the best episode of television, or or let's say the best episode of television in a long time, a decade, whatever? Because I I have opinions on it. I think it's an amazing episode of television. It's pretty fucking good. It, but... Yeah, it's up there. It I. But when I think about the best episode of television I've ever seen, uh, that Homeward Bound episode of sure. The Leftovers is like just mind-blowingly good to me. And, yeah, and t- talk about like getting misty-eyed in this episode, that one brought me to the freaking floor, man. Of course, because it had, what, 18 hours of drama behind leading that moment, not Fair, 40 minutes? Not two, yeah. But I, I do think that it is pretty damn good. There's also, you know, yes. your recency bias. You remember what this sure. felt like to watch this episode because it happened 48 hours ago. Uh, you Other powerful emotional experiences, you know, you might have uh, forgotten. So it, it's tough. It's Man, and I have a people, hard time. This might be the best episode of television they've ever seen. I, I, True. I wouldn't even say it's not because a lot of people, A, just it hits them differently. Or B, sure. they haven't seen the, the TV that I've seen. And so. Sure. You know, uh, yeah, uh, different strokes for different folks, I guess. But man, it, it was very good. It was very, very good. And a be- better very, second time, like I said. 
Yeah, and it just like I was just so impressed with um, Nick Offerman and this Murray Bartlett, yeah. who I guess was big in last season's White Lotus. Um, uh-huh. I know a lot of White Lotus fans, and a lot of them were super excited to see him again. Uh, I just can't believe how good how good Nick Offerman, especially you know, is at essentially being Nick Offerman, but. <laughs> You know, like like just even like his strategic use of the Nick Offerman giggle in this episode. Yep. You know, if you've ever seen Nick Offerman doing stand up, if you're watching Parks and Rec, you know that this like gruff fucking man that looks like his face is carved out of granite can just absolutely break out into what I can only describe as a girlish squeal. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's genuine. It seems like it's kind of like his genuine tickled laugh. And it's 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 great. It makes you smile. And he used it at the perfect time in this episode. And he's just also, yeah. this is a not a very funny show. Uh-huh. He's he's also really funny. Like this Bill character, as written, is is hilarious. Maybe not intentionally, but he's very funny. And the way Nick yeah. plays him is funny. There were there were a couple of chuckles in there. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate the the chuckle he has. Uh, I, I want to say Nick Offerman is my new favorite sad man. It it used to be Robin Williams. <sighs> But like when you want to bring grief and sadness and just like personify that, Nick Offerman puts that on screen. I think of like Devs when he was extraordinarily sad that entire show and he just nailed it. And then here he's playing some kind of, you know, alternate universe version of that character as well. And it's yeah, he's he's crushing it. He's great. A man so sad. He violates the laws of causality. Uh huh. Uh, Yeah, it's the eyes, right? Robin Williams and Nick Offerman, yeah, if there's something maybe. really like Basset Hound like in their eyes. And I think it's also the comedian doing drama thing because like the sad clown, Bob Odenkirk yeah. nails this uh, yeah. frequently. Yeah, there, there's something about a man who I'm used to seeing is very funny being very sad that really strikes me. Yeah. It's good stuff. Totally. Uh, I think we should get on to the recap, but we have a couple of things that we need to do first because there's been some news. Do you want some uh, the good news or bad news first, Jim? Uh, I'm going to start with the good news. Okay. The Last of Us has been renewed for season two. This is something that I was kind of taking as a matter of faith with Me its too. massive success and yeah. Neil and Craig's obvious desire to do it again, to adapt uh-huh. Last of Us part two. But uh, it's good. Yeah, it's good to see, you know, in the in the world, in the era of major corporate merger, bullshit, bizarre axing and cancellations over budgetary concerns. It's Mm -hmm. it's good to see the confirmation. Yeah, it really puts my mind at ease. I can settle into this season knowing that there will be more of it. And I'm now the only question is one season or two. That's a good question. We don't know the details on the renewal. We just know that it is going to get a season two. So, because I, I, I it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but The Last of Us Two feels like it's about twice as long as the first one. The experience of playing it, uh, it might be approaching that. Yeah, maybe it's like a thirty-three percent. So it's like fifty percent it, more. Yeah, it's a lot harder for me to see them bust that into a ten, like mm-hmm. you know, eight to ten act structure. But on the other hand, uh, it's also very hard for me to see how they can split the material in a way that will have uh, the impact that they want it to. So maybe it's just a super long season, old school, like 16, 18 episode season. It's possible. 
yeah. this ep- this season is shaping up to be longer than we thought too because these episodes True. have been extended and if that pattern holds we're gonna get like 10 and a half hours of content so yeah yeah uh yeah i don't know what they're gonna do with that but whatever they do with it it'll happen does seem like the hbo is flexible because the episode the order was for 10 episodes and they split the first one up into two no i'm sorry they combined the first two episodes into one which is why we had the the super long first one with a nine episode order because hbo executives themselves like that's what's a, one of the great things about hbo creative is you know they're not like we wanted 10 and we're going to get 10 you know it's like hey this would actually work a right. lot better if we did it like this and uh you know the episode should be as long as they need to be i thought that's one thing that severance did brilliantly last year is like they might have a 27 minute episode they might have an hour nine minute episode but they'll be exactly as long as they need to be to get you to the next emotional beat that they want you to leave on and that's Mm -hmm. that's how you tell stories man yeah that in the weekly format and we're good yeah now the bad news yeah there was some bad news and this came out i think either as or right before we were doing the instant take on Sunday night, uh, Anna Wershing, who was the voice actor of Tess in the video game died. She was only 45. Um, she had cancer and, and we were, she'd been battling it for a long time. Um, and again, kept working through it too, was the thing that was crazy to me. She, she recently, you know, was in Star Trek Picard season two, which, uh, she played right. the board queen in that. We covered that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's it's sad, but uh, Craig and Neil had a really nice message for about her on Twitter. Um, I didn't pull that, but if you want to go find it, it's on their socials. Uh, I got the last paragraph I thought was the the you know the the meat of it. it says Annie was a brilliant actor, wonderful mother, a bright light of a human being, something her husband's statement said too. We mourn for her and her children who are grieving their loss. Tonight's episode has become particularly poignant in a way we could have never hoped or wished for, and we're dedicating it to Annie's memory. It might be too late to get that on screen for tonight. Work to get that done as soon as we can. Uh, Anne, Annie and the test she originated will live in our hearts. May she rest in peace. They also linked to GoFundMe for her children. Um, if you want to search for Anne Worshing, GoFundMe. It'll be the first result, and maybe our producer can put that in the show notes as well. Because uh, yeah, that's the three, thing. It's like Three I, young children. Uh, I know she 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 did continue to work and she focused she was trying to focus on her kids but like I think the reality is like you know she's a working actor mm-hmm. I don't think that like uh, these a lot of these people they're doing voice work and doing little you know guest genre they're not like super wealthy so yeah. it's entirely and she's she died very young 45 mm-hmm. um, uh, kids aged 4 through 12 so yeah if you do have uh, if you do have a little extra and uh, you can help a family out at the uh, check out their GoFundMe. But it is, it's tragic that it's, you know, it, it's so weirdly ironic or I don't know, the universe being subversive that it underlines the, the plot of tonight's or this, this weekend's episode. Yeah, I suppose so. All right. Um, speaking of this week's episode, let's get into the recap. Now's the time to endure and survive. We'll be back with more Savage Starlight. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're not the cure for mankind, but we have your favorite podcast. Here's more of Savage Starlight. We start off 10 miles west of Boston with Joel piling rocks by a river. Then he and Ellie reluctantly agree to be civil to each other for the five-hour walk to Bill's place. Of course, the walk was going to feel a lot longer to Joel with Ellie pressing him for information and a gun specifically over and over. Um, They stop at a gas station to raid a supply stash where Ellie finds an infected in the basement and eh, cuts it up a little before killing it. Um, They continue walking and they come across a plane wreck, which fascinates Ellie. Uh, She asks Joel how civilization ended in about a day, and he explains that the cordyceps were in the pancakes, so obviously. Uh, They come to a patch of road that has something Joel doesn't want Ellie to see. She goes anyway and is horrified to see an area littered by human remains, but she's even more horrified when Joel tells her how the remains got there, which, yeah, is is pretty horrible. Uh, the soldiers just rounded up survivors and shot them to keep them from being infected. Yeah, there's uh, a lot here to talk about. Um, yeah, what I, did you this, think- this episode has a lot of logical breaks in scenes, and I was just going to kind of go section by section, so this might have longer recaps. Uh, but hopefully we can still talk about everything that happened. Yeah, there's uh, this this first sequence. Um, I like Ellie kind of asserting herself. You know, uh, she's wanting to broach the test subject, and Joel tries to cut her off and says, "I don't want you sorry." She's like, "Oh, well, good, old man. I'm not giving you one. I'm telling you mm-hmm. that I didn't ask for any of this. This is not my fault." And I'm not going to accept any blame for it. And Joel, to his credit, kind of gives her curt nod. Like he understands that mm-hmm. some of his, some of the bullshit that he's been slinging her way is, is over this and she doesn't deserve it. So yeah, and I think it's smart of her to get ahead of this resentment that's going to fester. Right. Yeah. And there's so much that Joel does here. I guess Pedro does with Joel about, you know, things that are unsaid, like him soaking his knuckles, bloody knuckles and stacking stones. They talk about this in a podcast. It's make an explicit reference that this is him in some way building a memorial to Tess. Very, you know, transitory. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait till some leave no trace. TikToker finds it's going to run up to it and kick it over. <laughs> but uh Sure. But it's it's something that he's because he doesn't ever talk about this or wrestle with it openly, right? He's no. just it's just all no. these little things. Like it's the look he has outside on Bill's front yard after, you know, uh, Ellie reads the letter, and mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty great. Yeah, I agree too. Uh, I like some of the more frivolous silly things they're doing i guess with the uh, world building like when you know she asks about the scar he's got on his head he's like yeah somebody shot at me they missed uh he's like well did you shoot back did you get him he's like yeah shot back i missed too happens a lot more often than you think it, it's just yeah I, I bet it does right uh in a sure. gunfight people aren't it's it's not a duel at high noon right 
People are turning around agent, standing still shooting. It's not Agent Smith versus Neo, although <laughs> it must be said they right. missed a lot too, surprisingly. They did, they did. Yeah. Just fun little yeah. moments like that. Um, and then the fact that like yeah she she hits him back with that because it's do you suck or is you just talking about in like gunfights in general and it's kind of like an innocent question but also one that she's you know needling him with uh-huh yeah and his like look at her before he answers in general is mm-hmm. is good real good uh we already talked about in the instant take about our, our continued disappointment and not seeing a Savage Starlight comic book. Mm-hmm. And there was a comic book rack yep. and there was a delighted Ellie making a recognition of a, of a in, the game in game universe, pop culture thing. It's fucking Mortal Kombat too. Mm-hmm. Which to be fair, I mean, my, I, I would probably be looking for a furniture dolly to take that thing back. Take that thing with us wherever we're going. Sure, you know how much that things. At least grab the the what is it? The, the board, internal yeah. board. Yeah, grab the board. Yeah. You know, you can it's, always find it's not necessarily cabinet. the boards; it's the monitors that are getting scarce. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Otherwise, need some conversion to hook it up to a uh, LCD or whatever. Oh yeah. no! Oh no! Don't upscale it to LCD. What would I ever do without <laughs> right the CRT phosphors burning into my retina? Post-apocalyptic, <laughs> yeah, arcade purist. Because I'm already to the stage like, you know what? Fuck all this. Just give me a give me a thumb thumb drive and a pie. Uh-huh. I'll play every fucking video game there ever was. But uh, <laughs> they, uh, you know, just some just some good quality looting. It's I, I I liked how they split up Ellie and, and Joel and she immediately tries to do something dangerous and stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, Ellie's a frustrating character. But uh, also, it's really funny that like this, you know, Joel describes the thing as being thoroughly picked clean. You know, nobody would ever find anything. Yeah. And she finds feminine hygiene products, which is mm-hmm. like a bunch of dudes picking over the store, apparently. Uh, yeah, I like it. Which I still I, don't... I learned to actually expire. You don't you don't want to use those after like five years. Well, is that just because they, they get mold and stuff in them because of moisture oh. exposure? Yeah. OK, well, that's bad because I was like, is that like the FDA requiring bottles of aspirin to expire because right. you got to put something on there? But really, 50 year old aspirin will probably still cure your headache because I don't know. Not a, I'm not a lady. But if I was 20 years in the apocalypse and I've been using whatever to fuck. Right. Roll pine cones. What are you shit? Yeah. Pine Maybe you roll it. You look at the you, you look at the tampon. You kind of give it give it the look over. You give it the ocular mm-hmm. pat down. Do you sniff it? <laughs> Do you, do you kind of tap, see if any, there's anything growing in it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't oh. know. I'm just saying, Ellie was excited to find them. This is true. Expired or not. It's true. Uh, the surround sound in that scene was very creepy. When this thing, uh, when this infected from under the pile, like growls or whatever it does, it came from behind me to my right, and I almost whipped around. I was like, what is that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really good sound design. Uh, uh-huh. Do you... And I, I thought it was really great that you can kind of see, you know, this is like the evolution. This is the missing link between the infected that we've seen in previous episodes and the clicker, right? You know, it's like got yeah. one good eye, yeah. but you can see the sprouts coming out of its of its right eye socket, and it's completely ruined and big old fucking fungus on its forehead. It's 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 and it's starting to make the sounds. It's going to lead to the clicking, right? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But I still don't know. I, I there's uh, one person in the instant talk that pro offered. The reason 
she did all this, especially cutting the the infected's head, is to give it a scar like Joel. I don't know I... that I. If so, that's a lot darker of an interpretation. Because I tried looking at it that way the second and third time. I'm like, I just don't know. I think that Ellie just might be a little fucked up. Yeah. Well, you know, what would that indicate that she wants to kill Joel? That like, I, I don't know. She she's been brandishing this knife the entire series so far right and, and we know she, she has never or well, she hasn't said that she's killed any infected right you know? and or, I don't well know i guess she hasn't even like really yeah i'm trying to think it's like if uh well and when she got infected we don't know anything about that and yeah, yeah. i think that it's true it's a, it's a mildly interesting question to like in this video game has she actually killed is she concealing information from joel mm-hmm. um but she's certainly fascinated with his experience and I think this is more of like Ellie's a little fucked up and she's just like kind of stealing herself and like, well, if I cut this thing, what's it going to do? Is it going to scream? Is it going to yell? And then when it kind of yeah. doesn't do anything, she steals herself and like stabs it because I think she wants to impress Joel. Huh. Okay. To, to me, she's fucked up in the way and, that's like, this is some, some weird revenge for the bite that she's got. That could be right? too. That could be too. But I, I thought it was more of like a test of like, what's this going to do? I've got this thing with a pointy end. If I stick something into it, what what's that going to feel like? What's it going to be like? And then you know, try you know, killing one because like I said, it's, she, she wants to impress Joel um, in a way that like a, a kid wants to impress an adult, mm-hmm. you know? Because I think she does think Joel is cool, and she does probably feel better walking around Joel uh, with her outside than she would alone. And, oh, yeah. you know, she's aware that he sees her as a pain in the ass and a sheltered kid and all this. And I don't, I think she wants to change that. Totally. I mean, it's one of the reasons she's been asking for a gun incessantly. We, you... we haven't really talked about how Ellie feels about her mm. condition. We've, ne- we've right. never even broached the topic. I, I wonder if she views it as a burden or if she views it as something that she's proud of or excited about. I mean, she seems when it, willing. When was she aware of the implication of like, you know, was it the first day she doesn't die, the second day, the third day? Uh, I think she's aware of it. I think um, Marlene basically told her how important this from is. From that point forward, for sure, yeah. Yeah, and now she's aware of it. Um, but like, how does she feel about it? She seems defensive because anytime yeah. anyone hints that there is some kind of like, ob- she gets kind of bristles and is like, I didn't ask for this, mm-hmm. you know, like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want the, this is this kind of what. So yeah, I guess she so is. So this could be like her being resentful of these infected who forced this upon her. And now she's on huh. some journey she didn't want. Do you think I she sees know. this guy as like a lucky person? <laughs> oh, you know, it's like, I'd rather, maybe. you know, like, you know, why, why is this me? Why wasn't it you? Maybe. I, I was just thinking more than along the lines of like, you did this to me. Now my life is not my own. Now my life yeah. is b- belongs to the world and I don't like it. Um, One thing that bothered me when I was watching it the night of was the idea that this guy's still alive down here because I took it that he had been down there for years um, with no access hmm. to food, no access to sunlight, no access to nothing. Um, does that bother you? The fact that this is a little too Walking Dead, you know, like how how, how is a sure. human being? Even if you've I, got it turned down to one percent of its metabolism, how the fuck does it stay alive down there? 
I mean, I don't know how long it's been down there, but I, I don't know how there's that a lot of dust infected. on that hatch, dude. There's a lot Is of there? dust on yeah. that hatch. Yeah, that's what I yeah, noticed. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. I don't know. I guess I hadn't thought about it much. It it doesn't bother me as much as uh, one or two other things in this episode, or at least it didn't. Right. Now that you I want to talk it, about a, another one. Um, we okay. t- we got a lot more from uh, at least Joel's perspective of how the world ended. Mm-hmm. And Bessie can figure people ate tainted stuff. Uh, you know, picked up the stuff in the stores Thursday, ate it Thursday night, Friday morning. Got worse and worse throughout the day. By Friday night, they started biting people. By Monday morning, everything was gone. And this kind of tracks with what we see Bill go through, and when the power go- cuts off, and 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 so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. Does that seem right? That like he said that there's one thing he said that I noticed on the second watch that made me feel like okay this is something he's like you know certain brands are sold all over the world mm-hmm. and I think about like have you ever seen those images it's like Nestle yeah. and shows like all how much of our food and drink is dominated by one particular company and they're probably sourcing regionally from these big different you know buying in bulk and like it like if if, if Nestle's plants mm-hmm. had a supply chain problem you might have a third of the world contaminated within 48 to 72 hours with nothing to, and like that's that you're fucked there. I that, like yeah. losing a third of the planet in 72 hours probably kills civilization. Sure. And then having that third of the population, uh, get up and start eating the other two thirds, right? Doesn't help. Doesn't help. <laughs> right. Yeah. So no, I, it totally painted a picture that I understood. Um, and it made sense to Ellie too. And, and I love these, interactions between them because I feel like they are really starting to bond the two of them. They're showing that Ellie has a lot of respect for Joel, right? Like he's got Mm -hmm. information as this old timer that she doesn't have because she's not allowed to uh, by Fedra, right? And he can fill in the gaps in her knowledge and she's a very curious kid. So he's providing information and she's warming up to him more and more. And I think they're doing a really good job telling that story. And and we don't know also what Sarah was like, and it seems like, uh, you know, even more than just physical appearance and same age, like Ellie t- would be the type of gal that would hang out with her, right? They have kind of the same I, kind I of sarcastic so, yeah. sense of humor. It's a little mm-hmm. bit more barbed dealing with Joel because there's not any affection or love there, but, you know, she's a bit of a wise ass. So is Sarah and sure. a bit of a free spirit kind of doing what you thought uh, was right at any given time. Uh, so was Sarah. So... There's, Ellie there's might definitely... be a little more fucked up than Sarah in the, in sure. the head, but For sure. I mean, look at the world she was born into, right? Exactly. Uh, all right. So when when uh, Joel shows Ellie this pad, this patch of bones here, um, do we cut right from some fabric with like rainbows and flowers and stuff on it to that's sitting on the skeleton of a woman and a baby? Right to those people who were wearing it on September 30th, 2003. Um, and then we go to a man, and, and there are the Fedra troops. I, I guess they wouldn't be Fedra at this point, probably. They'd be just government soldiers. Um, yeah. Round people up, and they're doing exactly what Joel described they were doing to these people. Uh, and we see a man named Bill, we'll find out, uh, is in his sub-basement hiding from soldiers who are searching his house. They leave town and he emerges and realizes he's got the entire town of Lincoln to himself. And he goes on a post-apocalyptic shopping spree. 
He gets tools, he gets gas, booze, everything he needs to turn the town into his private booby-trapped oasis. Then he eats a meal alone and watches his defense perimeter do its job. Yeah, this is this is a great scene. Um, I love the tense. Like you think that, you know, he's a man in his basement, and he's waiting for these feders to open his door, and then you realize that he's in the basement of his basement, oh, and it's so, like yeah. this elaborate, like hidden trapdoor thing. And he's like one of these guys who's he's no mere prepper. Prepper, he's a survivalist. Oh, no. Yeah, he doesn't have three milk jugs of water in his garage, right? Yeah. And I love the detail they provide on a podcast that what Nick says here, it's like, not today, you want new world order jackbooted fucks. Mm-hmm. That was parenthetical, like a note to the actor in the script to let him know what the character is thinking, but not to be said aloud. And apparently Nick, like right before they were going to film the camera, he's like, hey, just uh, if it's OK, I'm just going to say this out loud. Mm-hmm. And Craig's like, fuck it. Let her rip. And he did. And it's like. <laughs> it's uh it's such it's so close to his parks and rec that's what's so i i think that's one of the things that meta works about this Mm -hmm. is this is so close to ron swanson sure this is like an alternate version of parks and rec after the zombie apocalypse fell and ron swanson fell in love with ron from eagleton and (laughs) lived out the rest Uh of lives it's just it's i i don't know it's like it's 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 very very deeply funny to me for that yeah um I, I am surprised. So I, I have a little bit of a problem with these so-called jackbooted thugs or jackbooted fucks. Uh, didn't realize that they were walking on boards that were above a hollow compartment. I mean, it, when your jackboots hit the, the wood, you can hear the echo, right? I don't know why you they don't couldn't think tell. That Nick, you don't think that Ron Swanson can build a sub-basement joist so strong that it doesn't flex or creak? <laughs> Fair. He got out there with his I hand mean, planer. Look yeah. at what this guy, look at what this guy <laughs> has done. Chisel. My it's, God. It's micron tolerances. Yeah, you're that, right. You're that's right. when Home Depot was open. Like, look, or no, the, <laughs> that's the, when he had to yeah, buy like, things. Yeah, look look at what he's look at what he does when there's you know no more new stuff. I I don't know. I think I, yeah. I didn't have any problem believing <laughs> okay. that uh, they they wouldn't detect the difference there. Uh, Fair. It's just uh, it's just all that when he realizes he's alone, that fierce grin he gets as he oh, begins is yeah. I mean, his a fantasy of of. I mean, this is half my fantasy. I'm not a prepper or anything, but man, yeah, you just going on an adult shopping spree that'd be amazing. Yeah, like like the fun part of the early goings of Walking Dead was you and I talking about like, oh, what would we do if we, uh-huh. uh, you know, and, and getting people's feedback. It's it's a fun thing to think about. And you can tell that this is a guy who's probably swirled a lot of glasses of wine uh, in his <laughs> in his rec room thinking, you know, if, uh, yeah. the first place I'd hit if uh, the shit hit the fan. Uh, first place I'd hit back is and, and he's got on. He's just executing. <laughs> plan and i yeah zulu or whatever totally he has a plan he uses his boat as a trailer which i love i i think it actually is his neighbor's boat i think he steals that boat oh does he yeah i think i think because it's not he doesn't get out of his garage that thing is just sitting in a driveway driveway you're right maybe and we see it outside of his driveway there's no boat there so i think he just swipes like yeah he said jerry ain't gonna jerry ain't gonna use this boat you know (laughs) that makes a lot more reservation no more I was looking, so they're doing an amazing job with environmental storytelling. And we talked about this in the games. They're bringing that over to the show in a way that I really appreciate. They have painted a picture here of a man and, and they, I, you know, 
this is what I mean. Maybe too much information on the official podcast because I was thinking, oh, I'm so clever. I figured out exactly what Bill's backstory is here. But then Craig in the podcast just says it. Uh, they, they do an amazing job with the set dressing of this house, telling me that this is not his house. Yes. It is his house now, but it was his mother's house and, mm-hmm. and his parents' house. And they died at some point and he inherited the thing and he hasn't changed a damn bit of it, right? Like, you look at the couches, they're all care. these old person floral patterns sure. with, with knitted afghans hanging over the back. There's like antique china cabinets. Like, this uh-huh. is not Bill. This is Bill's mom. And yeah. it's all just in the set dressing. I, th- I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, why would he change? He doesn't give a fuck about any of this shit. But you I was know. thinking, like, would this man have a boat or is he spending all of his money on guns and gas and foodstuffs and building a fucking sub basement See, under the basement? I actually thought about this because that was my other more persuasive line of evidence that it's not his boat. If uh-huh. Bill had a boat, Bill would not fuck that boat up. Bill would have a use for that boat. Sure. Bill would harvest fish or something. He wouldn't like tear to see. So like, I, I think he just yeah. uses it as a trailer to haul shit. No, so. I think you're right. It's his neighbor's boat. He stole it. I, I mean, uh-huh. steal. What does that even mean at this point? He salvaged it. He salvaged right? it. A legitimate salvage. Legitimate salvage. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> drove it to Home Depot and filled it up. That's. It, it was just a really inventive use of of a boat. I was trying to decide if it bothered me that this guy's stuff was still running after 20 years, but I feel like they did enough that the average person shouldn't worry about it. Like, I think you're supposed to understand that he has at least a town's worth of gas. I don't know if gas works that way. Like how long does it take for the yeah. big storage tanks to empty out? And maybe a guy could live for the rest of his natural life on 20 years worth of a small town propane supply. And he could keep that going and, and all that kind of stuff. But Mm-hmm. I just like at one point they got like this guy's keeping batteries in the refrigerator and it's component parts so that they're never going to the, 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 the I'm like, OK, whatever. They, mm-hmm. They've cer- certainly thought a lot, a lot about a lot of stuff, and I'm not going to worry too much about it. And I thought more about the the natural gas situation and what's going on there. I think yeah. the the feds might have shut down the gas plant mm-hmm. to preserve it for later potential i don't i don't know what or you just don't want have. an out of control fire like if sure. a house burns down suddenly the whole block's exploding 10 miles from boston from the qz yeah who knows uh so they might have shut down that down and that's why the power goes out at home depot and then he goes and turns it back mm. on gotcha because in the instant take i was thinking did he turn it off to preserve it so it wouldn't leak but no nah, i think it's the other way around uh, I also looked into because we talked about those uh, X markings that the Federal agents were making, or I guess FEMA pre Federal agents were making. Yeah, and I this is um uh I guess a, like an international search and rescue standard that's employed where the top so from mm-hmm. from top and then clockwise, uh the top thing is the date of search. So we saw they were all like 9.30 or whatever marked. Uh, mm-hmm. The next quadrant is the has any hazards present. Now, I didn't understand the code they use because I think it was NE. I don't know what that means. No electric, no electric or, or what. Uh, the bottom quadrant is the number of dead or alive found. It's just A0 because they didn't find any, 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 anyone in the building at all. And then the uh, leftmost quadrant is the unit ID that's conducting the search. So like whatever mm-hmm. division of troops this is, that's their identifier. So I don't know. It's kind of neat. I thought it was cool. Sure. Um, I feel like that makes a lot more sense to use that stuff when you plan on coming back to a location and uh, 
repairing and revitalizing it when well it might be the just to make sure ending. they don't miss anyone that's the grim the grim sure is like i mean you can just put it coming X. back it's, i don't, I don't it's, know you need the oh, unit id to like ins- okay let's check the records did unit id yeah, yeah, number yeah, yeah. four five three properly inspect yeah but you know they, they got a system they're going to use it well and i guess that's the other thing is like they don't know until they get the people collected whether they're going to have room at the qz yeah. So it's like yeah, you don't maybe when you're round. Yeah. Huh? It's uh, yeah. It's a scary thought though, the idea that you're trusting these people to show up. I mean, it's it's the it's the one event that like literally justifies all the crazy, you know, conspiracy stuff, right? When totally. the when the the world ends and the government <laughs> the unaccountable government, government is makes, full of Nazis, right? Makes yeah, a bunch of fucking <laughs> unaccountable Nazis making life or death decisions that you have no say over, you uh-huh. know? And your trust, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a bad bad time, bad time to live through. Uh, well, if you want comfort, you can always uh, bust out a really nice dinner, and you can watch your your defense perimeter like it's your favorite rerun of your favorite sitcom. Yeah, like Bill's doing here. I really appreciate that. <laughs> he's just he's just having a, a TV Never dinner. Gets right? old. Like, yeah. yeah. And it's still, Hilarious. it's such a Ron Swanson move, you know, the guy who had a claymore in front of his desk, pointed <laughs> towards the enemy at all times, uh-huh. is just like watching these guys blunder through and get their brains blown out. Yeah. Uh, so we cut four years later. It's 2007 now, obviously, four years into this whole event. Uh, Bill's living his life when someone falls into one of his traps. It's a man named Frank who claims he's just trying to get to Boston. After convincing Bill not to kill him and that he's not infected, he asks for some food. The guy seems decently trustworthy, so Bill lets him shower, gives him clothes, and cooks him a meal. Afterward, Frank plays a song on the piano poorly, and Bill shows him how to really play it, which results in Frank realizing that Bill is gay, kissing him, and then asking him to go take a shower. Once he does, Bill and Frank make love. Uh, that they do. Uh, that they do. They they fucked. Um, <laughs> they did not I, fuck. I just no, think it's funny when love. I just think it's funny when on Bald Move podcast someone just says and they made love. I, I, I mean, um, how else would I describe this? It's not it's very fucking. respectful, Jim. Yeah. Very respectful. Yeah, it's first time. First time. Uh, hell, this might be the first time we break down a tender gay love scene on this podcast. Um, Maybe. I think. That there's a couple of things I want to say. Number one, I was wondering on the the first watch, like he's clearly fucking with an angle grinder. I'm like, what the fuck is yes. he doing? His angle grinder. Yes. But we see later that he's he's turning these all to where they all operate off of one switch, so that they are the spark source for these flame cannons he's building. Uh huh. Which implies that four years into the apocalypse, he is tirelessly adding to the traps. It's not like he built these in the first year and was right. satisfied. No, no, no. Bill is innovating. On mm-hmm. his multiple interlapping rings of lethality, which I just think is is a is a touch you get on the rewatch. Yeah. Um, Love it. We also asked, like, what was it about Bill that Frank was able to clock? You've heard the podcast, obviously. Mm-hmm. What is your understanding of that? And did you see when on rewatches? Did you see that moment? No. So I I listened to the podcast after I had done all my rewatches. Uh, so gotcha. I didn't have a chance to go back and look for that moment. Um, but Craig Mason is of the opinion that it is almost immediately. It happens when Frank gets out of the hole and yep. he sees the way that Bill is looking at him and he realizes then and there. And then at that point, it just becomes a process of like, 
almost not quite verification because he knows, but also just like easing into that, right? Seduction. Uh, yeah. It's not a dirty I, word. I think he has to seduce himself too, though. I don't think it's uh, just like, oh, he's trying to now seduce Bill. I think it's like, you got, he's got to talk himself in the Nick Offerman. How dare you? <laughs> Watch out for that fungus. We'll be right back with more Savage Starlight. We found something to fight for. This podcast. Welcome back to Savage Starlight. He doesn't know who Bill is. Because right? the he funny thing is I have in my notes that, he is. that Nick Offerman, I could be Nick Offerman's beard and body double. A hundred percent. You wrap a towel around right. my waist, I, it's there. And I don't I don't have his magnificent hair to my great shame. But how dare you? Mm. Nick Offerman Nick Offerman could pull Frank. <laughs> oh, I mean doesn't it's have to manifestly so. Yeah. This isn't like like well, who's that fucker on the King of Queens, like Kevin James or something, where you gotta you gotta oh, script him into some hot he can pull, all right? Yeah. Jesus. I agree. But to me it wasn't that early. I didn't notice it then. Uh when I notice it is when Bill is pouring the wine for Frank. And he he notices he notes the pairing of the, the Beaujolais and the rabbit. I'm like Gotcha. Okay. Okay. You're you're picking up on something here for sure. So I, I listened to the podcast in between my second and third watch. In fact, the podcast is kind of uh, what inspired the third watch because I'm like, I actually want to see some of this stuff play out. Mm-hmm. And I'll be damned. Uh, yeah, he pops out of that hole and they have that thing about the Arby's and, you know, like Frank's essentially begging for a meal. And there's a like a, where like Bill kind of wavers and looks away and then he looks at him again and kind of sees him for the first time. And Frank notices Bill noticing him. And you can see this yeah. like small smile right before the camera cuts. Like Frank gets a small smile on his face. Like I fucking saw, I know, and yeah, I, yeah. I know you. I see you, man. And from that on, it's just him figuring out the the the, the, the opening. Uh, sure, it's yeah, like all that shit. I didn't see it the first, and I was I kind of was hinting on. I was kind of leaning towards what you were saying on the second time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is like almost instantly. He he he, he sees. Bill notice him as an attractive person. Hmm. I need to take my gator in for a checkup. It's getting, it's, it's, it needs a tune up. Uh, I will say the, the probably big moment here is the Linda Ronstant song. I, I think this is so, it's so beautiful, right? It's, it's the contrast between these two people and their interpretations of this song. Uh, and that's the thing about music is, is, and covers is essentially is like, the way you do the cover says so much about you and says more about you than just playing the song the way that it's written ever could. If you look at the way Frank plays it, it's almost like uh, it's this upbeat, energetic, fast moving mm-hmm. kind of uh, dance to it. The bill is like, that is all fucking wrong, man. You are yeah. you are not you're not seeing this song. You're not seeing the, the pain in this song. And then Bill sits down and plays it as this like sad ballad the sad slow ballad and you can tell that this is a man who has never like who has never felt companionship has always felt alone mm-hmm. and just the way he performs that song is so much different than frank but has wanted it like he clearly had a high school or a oh, college totally. sweetheart yeah. that was completely one-sided or unrequited maybe he didn't even you know uh maybe maybe he didn't didn't have the courage to, to step out of the closet or maybe he didn't feel uh you know, it's confident enough, but there's clearly some something there that this is mm-hmm. like deeply personal. And not only that, it's like 
this is a, a person who's not only never had that experience, but probably given up on ever having that experience because totally the, you know, what the hell someone's going to come and fall in your fucking hole. And then you uh, look at Frank <laughs> as a guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, let's just keep going. Uh, and, keep and then you look at, and then you look at Frank as a guy who seems to have very little trouble uh, getting people to like him probably romantically as well. Uh, I, I don't think this man has ever had a difficult, lonely day in his life. Mm. And so when he sees this person who has had a completely opposite experience, both with this song and with his life, he's, he's drawn to it. He, I don't want to say he feels, I mean, he does feel sorry for Bill, but that's not all right. He sees him as no. a full person. He understands him in that moment. Yeah, he sees he sees an attractive person, um, mm-hmm. and I think it's uh, that's man. You, you, I keep on uncovering these like uh, juxtapositions because you know Frank had a group, prefers yes. to be in a group, and is mm-hmm. is devastated and not functioning well because he's alone, and he finds you know Bill who doesn't want a group was happy when everyone died, and now it's just going to be me. And these he's finding a way to in, intrude in this guy's life, but yes, there's something. You know, there's something stirring here in Bill. And I, I took his like casing Bill's joint as because uh, as him trying to figure out where I would fit in here. Because, okay, OK, maybe he thinks I'm hot. Maybe I think he's attractive. Gotcha. But like he says, I'm not a whore. I'm not going to like mm-hmm. hit myself out for a warm place to stay and food. So he's like, a cheap he sees... whore, I think is what he's saying. <laughs> I won't pit myself out for a lunch, but I will for like a lunch in a few days of of roof over my head and it's not tawdry it's not tawdry if we're if we're gonna try to be friends not a one night stand but like him seeing like that uh yeah he is just inhabiting this other person's house and he sees the layer of dust where like this guy clearly has a taste for the fine things and he's living well Mm -hmm. but there's only there's like it's very a one-dimensional kind of thing and frank sees all the things that he could do and he could add to this life not the least of which is love not the least of which is dusting my god uh and this is where the environmental environmental storytelling stuff comes in again for me um and becomes even more poignant because you can see by the environment that he's a man who was alone even before the apocalypse hit right this is not like Oh, he's been alone for four years. When his mom died, that's when he became truly alone. He had no one else, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they tell that story just through this being obviously his mom's house and the dust that's yeah. accumulated on all the things that she would have kept up. It's, yeah, it, it's really, really good storytelling. And it, it doesn't stick out in your face. It's just things you can notice and think about and go, oh, yeah, I see the story here. And this scene is awkward scene of, uh, you know, Bill trying to literally tiptoe around his go- uh, his guest and, you know, has no idea how he would make a play and is going to have to rely on Frank to kind of lead. But like the way he's awkward, like the he tries to sit down, and he snags his gun holster uh-huh. and like it fucks him up. Like his his physical comedy timing is so good and makes all that play because he's like this thing that he's obviously taken a lot of pride and a lot of his self-worth from is now this impediment to him making the moves on this attractive man and making him look dumb and stupid. And and it's it's his defense mechanisms, right, too? Like catching on this moment. It's... Yes. Yeah, it's so symbolic of what he's feeling inside, too. These these barriers and literal walls he's put up against outside are are keeping him from making this human connection. And God, it's just... They're master of text and subtext. I, I know, dude. 
super impressive and it becomes more so the more i think about it yeah and i i want to say like i don't know how much of this to attribute to like Druckmann versus Mazin because I've seen Mazin do this stuff before. I'm yeah. hoping it's a combination of both. And, and when I hear Druckmann talking about this stuff, I really think it is. Um, yeah, he gets it. Yeah, he's he's not just some spectator watching Craig Mazin write this amazing show. He's he's participating quite a bit. Um, and, and then that the, those like moments that that sort of defensive nature extends to the bedroom here, right? Like, and even the way he's like standing. I don't know if Nick, Nif- Nick Offerman typically stands in a very hunched, like yeah, turtle, turtle in his shell kind of uh, posture. But in uh-huh. these scenes, he definitely is. And and they're like when they first embrace and Frank kisses him, Bill's like almost shaking because he's yeah. he's scared of this moment. He's excited about this moment. He doesn't know really how to react. And yeah. then when you go into the bedroom, he is like he's he's extremely vulnerable in a way he doesn't feel comfortable with and you can see that because like when he's in bed he's kind of holding his hands over himself a little sure. bit because what kind of cover up in, in giving all these like i am incapable of taking the first move and his yeah, relief yeah. when frank says i'm going to lead and i'll start with the basics is palpable yes yeah now some amazing scenes here um i i <laughs> So this is going to echo later in the episode, I think. But when I, I find it hilarious when Frank tells Bill to go take a shower, because <laughs> mm-hmm. like they've just kissed, it's this romantic moment, and then he interrupts it by saying, implying you stink. <laughs> Please Probably. do something about it. I've just taken a shower. Uh-huh. You need to you need to fix this situation so yeah, that we can. I didn't notice before, but now that I'm clean, Oof. right, right. Uh, so we jump ahead three years later. It's 2010. We're now seven years into the apocalypse. Frank argues with Bill because he wants to fix up their town, but Bill doesn't see the use in it. Bill eventually relents when Frank explains that it's how he shows love. Also, Frank says they're going to make friends and they're going to invite them to visit, which uh, probably another argument ensues, but that's exactly what he does. He invites Joel and Tess to share a meal with the two of them. Frank takes Tess inside, leaving Joel and Bill to get acquainted. They don't really like each other, but they can still make a deal for the things they each need. And on the way out, Joel warns Bill to be on the lookout for Raiders. Yeah. Uh, again, another strong scene. This is the point where I think the game reality diverges from the television reality because in the game reality, I don't think Bill ever lets Frank souls soar. You know, he never yeah. gets strawberries in that universe. But it's mm-hmm. it's, it's just a funny because, you know, again, it's Nick Offerman, but uh, this guy, it's like, you know, you're in this psycho bunker 9-11's inside job. The government's all Nazis. And Nick's, like, exasperated, like, the government is all Nazis. Well, they are now, but not back then. It's Can you imagine how frustrating it would be to argue politics 10 years into the zombie apocalypse where it's like... Oh, God. Yeah. Like, how... Yeah, how are you going to like watch a YouTube video? It's like, you know, or or do any kind of research or any kind of like rhetoric? It's it's be exhausting. But yeah, I mean, the good news is none of it matters, uh, right? But they've clearly gotten into it a time or two. Yes, and totally. He's like, all I'm asking for is paint and gas for the lawnmower, and then Nick starts to sputter. He's like, if you say resource management one more time, I'm going to run through one of your trip wires. It's just just <laughs> such a funny fucking threat. Uh, and they foreshadow this argument earlier with the dust on the bar, right? Like they, yeah, he runs his finger through it. You can see he's a little like 
like you said, he's sizing up, okay, what role do I fit here? But also he's dismayed by this. Honestly, it's a beautiful house, right? And and that's mm-hmm. the thing when Ellie walks into, she's like, what the fuck? This place yeah. is amazing. Uh, I think Frank sees that too. And, and he, he wants the whole town to be that. He wants their lives to be that is the important thing. And it's also part of like, well, I'm sure Bill think considers a protection. Like, yeah, the more rundown and dilapidated all this stuff looks within, you know, the inside can be as nice as we want it to be. But like it, it, it attracts less attention. You know, people are going to be less mm-hmm. uh, you know, enthused by getting past this fearsome fence and all this stuff. If it looks like hey, it's not going to worth it, be, it's been abandoned for years anyway. So I don't know if that actually it seems like that would (laughs) I almost that's the other unbelievable thing. The fact that it took so long for Raiders to find them. But yeah, whatever. Perhaps, you know, you're in the middle of a small town nowhere. Yeah, they're just not very far outside of Boston is the thing. I 10 miles is not much. It isn't. It isn't. It's a huge population center. And like, that's the thing. It's like if you're you're just talking about Boston, but like the entire Mm -hmm. eastern seaboard is essentially mega city one. (laughs) Yeah. There is a bazillion Americans living in in that stretch. So it's like it's it seems crazy that they wouldn't, but I don't know. You got the QZ, I guess that attracts a lot of attention, mm-hmm. and you know probably all the infected and stuff. Like if you just kind of stay quiet and unassuming, it doesn't seem like he ever leaves. Like they don't. Why would they? They don't need anything yeah. else. Um, nope. But uh, and then the, the the fact that like and also it's like it starts off with like all I'm asking for is paint and gas. And then, like, you can see Bill's like, okay, fine. And also, we're going to have friends. Where are you going to find friends? Well, I've been mm-hmm. talking to them on the radio. You've been what? Like, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of amazing that Frank's able to just push past this. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then they just cut right to the garden party uh, with Joel and Tess. It was good to see Tess back uh, yep. for what I assume is one final moment. I don't know that we're going to get a lot more with her. The other thing is, like, I felt like this is interesting because it really this implies that Tess and Joel have been together for over a decade. Yeah. For like six. That's a lot years. of time for her to share a bed with someone who is so emotionally shut down that he can't even call what they have an official thing. He's like, you know, you got yours and I've got my, mm-hmm. you know, I've got mine. And I, you know, the I just thought that was really interesting too, in light of like Tess's last words to Joel. It sh- kind of paints a sad, um, like mirror image of the Bill and Frank romance. Yeah, yeah, there is um, some similarities between the two couples. I think uh, I don't know because the the official podcast sort of painted Joel as the protector, a failed protector of Tess, mm-hmm. and I never really saw Tessa's needing protection in the way that Frank does. I Tess, in my mind, can handle herself just as well as Joel. And if anything, well, so, so the, I guess the similarities lie in the way that Tess approaches Joel, um, in the way that Frank right. approaches Bill. She's right. trying to to steer this man through this world that is broken. And, and he's a broken man. Uh-huh. And trying to heal that and patch it up as best she can but i don't know she's not doing as good a job as frank did let's just say i i I think i think you're right about tess and how she views herself but i think if you're looking at from joel's point of view i'm not sure if the video game makes this point but the idea that he is this failed protector that he's had multiple people he's cared about relying on him and he hasn't been able to get the job done and now the backdrop is ellie who 
is like this messianic figure. Not only is he responsible, mm-hmm. but like her safe delivery might redeem all of humankind. And Joel is like shitting his pants because he's twice he failed. Just doesn't feel like he's worthy, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Uh, desperately, it's like the whole first few episodes. He's desperately trying to pawn this girl off to anyone else. Fucking fireflies. He hates the fireflies. Bill doesn't trust Bill or like Bill, but it's just like I just yeah I just need to get my battery and get the hell on. And now he's gonna have to take responsibility again, and it scares the shit out of him. Yeah, and I love um, sort of Joel's backstory coming into play here. Right, he's they're showing him to be extremely competent in a lot of different areas. Um, he takes one look at Bill's fence and he's like, yeah, that's not gonna hold up. And Bill knows it. And that's then, the, the bill. He, yeah, it's the respect. Yeah, I don't like him, you, right? but yeah, you got me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And so they, they do develop a trading relationship, but, but I just love that as like a contractor, as a construction worker, he probably would be able to identify it's, it's like I was yeah. talking about with the, the walls in the first episode, uh, being framed out weirdly, huh? Right. Yeah. 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 I, I like that, the, that, uh, aspect that he's got a professional, you know, uh, eye for it and the way he underlines it but like you know you got i got this 10 10 spools of high tensile aluminum last you the rest of your life mm-hmm. lives to kind mm-hmm. of like i know what your you know leverage is just yeah i thought that was really good makes joel it gives joel a lot more nuance i think you know because it's not fair to say that tess is the pure brains of the operation joel's not a not dummy completely no yeah but she she's more of the guide uh, she she's kind of steering it a bit more than he is, right? But they're like playing it smart, you know. They're letting yeah. you know it's like uh, taking the measure of them both. It's like yeah, Tess is essentially going to distract Frank while Joel can make the sales pitch. I thought it was, and it's all you know. They don't have to communicate it; just it just happens. Yeah. Um, so on their way out, a couple of things happen. Uh, we find out that. It was actually Frank's idea to do the cover songs, or sorry, not the cover songs, the the '80s radio mm-hmm. codes. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of surprising. I guess I didn't see that coming. Uh, and then Joel tells Bill that Fedra is not going to come up here. I don't know why. Do they not want to raid they? smaller towns for supplies and? Mm. Yeah, you'd think they had systematically know. worked our way through. Like, they kept all these records. Or maybe they didn't. But, like, yeah, you'd, you'd think it's like, hey, we came here and there's this, le- and we can go back and get those things. But, yeah. Because the jig I would be up. So. You get within sight of Frank's oh, yeah. town. Or, I'm sorry, Bill's, Bill's, uh, what'd you call it? Bill's, uh, Billville. Billville. <laughs> see, Billsville, you're, the jig is going to be up as soon as you see it. It's uh-huh. like one of those things where it's like, there's no security and obscurity here, except for maybe it's like, oh, it's just, but you know Frank fixing a place up is gonna fuck all that up so it's like if you see mm-hmm. this place you'd know there's some good shit here totally I don't know but apparently they're not coming up uh, alright we cut three years later it's 2013 10 years in now to the apocalypse uh, the guys are trying to stay in shape Frank runs Bill over to a strawberry patch that he's been growing and Bill loses his mind when he tastes his uh, tastes his first fresh berry in years Later, I don't know if it's that night or a different night, but the Raiders show up under the cover of Dark, and Bill manages to fight them off with a big assist from his defense perimeter. He does get shot in the gut, though, and Frank tries to patch him up. 
while while Bill is essentially telling him, "I'm dying, call Joel. He'll protect you." Yeah. The uh, I talked about Nick Offerman's giggle. It's uh, yes. so great, like him having you know this just purely emotional reaction to because like you wonder like you could probably make flour from corn and this that and the other but like what when you run out of cane sugar what the fuck do you do like i don't think you can grow that in massachusetts so it's possible that they haven't had like a sweet thing in years and this guy gets corn syrup just distill that (laughs) syrup down Yeah, can you process that kind of like? Do you need like some kind I of still? I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like that's that's a lot more than just a fucking millstone. I know you need, but uh, the idea that like you know this is nature's candy and it, God, it looks so ripe too. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just just like an in season homegrown strawberry should. Yeah, the sweetness uh, of like a carrot, for instance, which we saw him growing. That's that's nothing compared to a strawberry. Yeah. But blows it away. And I, I really there's something that they said on the podcast that he was interested in exploring like what this mature love relationship looked like. And, you know, he, he mentioned there's like uh, I think one of the editors is gay, one of the super stri- and like, you know, not just gay, but like an older married man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like he sought out their they're, they're kind middle of aged. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, middle aged, not older, but like you know, have that these kind of relationships where it's not like you're in the first you know bloom of youth and and that it's like what does it look like? Mm-hmm. And I just love that detail of obviously there's a romantic moment. Uh, their son is like it's the magic hour and it's filtering through the uh, the leaves and they're very handsome men. And Nick Offerman puts you know now he's grown and experienced. He's putting the moves on Frank and Frank's like come come on not on the strawberries. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's a really funny detail. Uh, there's also a thing at the beginning of this shot where they're running and Frank's like come on I got something to show you and Nick Offerman's like what. Yeah. He, thinks, he thinks he wants to show him his dick. I I, think, I don't know. Yeah. And they want, he wants to bang over there somewhere, but Nick's already out of breath, huffing and puffing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and it's like the one of those best of times, worst of times, because this is like the most, best day ever in the yes. last 10 years. And that's also, I think, implied to be the night that the Raiders finally show up because there's no like yeah. three months later, 10 years. It's just, you know, you had this beautiful moment of them making making love in the strawberry patch and then i mean they might be fucking here happens. i don't know this seems more like a fucking situation <laughs> uh, after you survive after you survive and and i like the, the strawberry thing is so good because it shows the effect that frank has had on bill over these past three years right you go from him wanting to fix up the town wanting things to be nice and full of life to now they are now they yeah. are. And and now Bill's appreciating it. It's gone from him resisting it and shouting about it to him being delighted by it. Yeah, and like he gets it shows it's like something the, he was missing. Like, oh, I traded one of your guns for the start. You're one of my guns. And like it's like almost like it's just a reflex. And Frank knows right. exactly how to like it's a, it's just a small one. And also <laughs> right. put this strawberry in your mouth and tell me it wasn't worth. Uh-huh. Especially we see this fucker's wall that he still maintains. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's a great pairing with the previous scene, like Rabbit and Beaujolais. Uh, and, and then we get mm-hmm. the other pairing, which is the Raiders showing up. Um, I I have minor problems with this scene, 
that we'll talk about. But I do love the defense system. Like you said, we saw him building it earlier. We didn't realize it. But once those sparks start up, I'm like, oh, those are the angle grinders or whatever he was using. Right, right. To spark this. And boy, it lights these fools up. It does. And it's like, that's the thing. You see them, all the components going together, like the pipes in the ground. I'm like, is this on a mortar shell or... Mm-hmm. You know, they're packing full of ball bearings and black powder. It's going to be like, you know, uh, a claymore or whatever. And then you see the angle. Grind. What the fuck is that? But as soon as those angle grinders fire up in the night, it's like instantly I'm like, oh, shit, this is just a giant big spark wheel. Right. <laughs> These and it's guys are gotta be roasted. They do. It's got to be so confusing to them. Like, th- oh, th- yeah. they probably haven't seen machinery operating in sure a decade. And they're thinking, we got the drop on this motherfucker. Uh-huh. We cut his power. We're cutting his fence. He and is in dead of night. We just watch him fuck on the strawberries and get drunk off wine. We are going to have ourselves a time tonight. And they get uh-huh. they get hardcore fucked by Bill's fence. And, and now, I, like, I, I like the idea of using fire, too, at night, because it would fuck with your night vision, right? It, it, sure would, it would. It would mask somebody who, let's say, was in a firefight standing in the middle of a street firing right. a gun and yelling uh yeah. glad you <laughs> wanted to talk about this it would make it harder to hit that person but that person is still an idiot what are you doing yeah. bill you're standing with no cover you're just asking to get shot it's so dumb like bill wouldn't have an elaborate system of sniper nests and, no. and i and, and i still think you could have him get shot in the love handle if you wanted to mm-hmm. but like that was just i i you know <laughs> it's an unforced error in a show that I didn't think it was going to make these errors because they but, have to have some kind of military advisor, right? To do some of the, the stunts and things. It's like, I don't think you need one for this. This is just plain no, silly, I guess. But, but I, but I, but I, right, I, think it, I really don't think it occurs to them. And, and the way that like, you know, Craig was like, Oh, you know, if I want to just pick this mature gay love, I should probably talk to some mature gay people and, you know, kind of get some opinions mm-hmm, and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just like when it's an action scene, I hope it's not sign of things to come. So it's like, Oh, let's we'll do whatever looks cool. And we'll just wing it. And I'm like, okay, the, but because that it really did take me out of the scene. It, it makes Bill look a lot dumber than the rest of the episode, and that was the problem I had with it. It's right. not necessarily like, that he gets shot or that he's in the middle of the street, but exactly. the guy he is would be yeah. up in a sniper's nest window somewhere, yeah, picking people off, not yes. out in the middle of a street like a crazy man. Yeah, you take advantage, like you said, you just night blinded these fools, and you know, I, 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 it's yeah. Like I said, a lot. I imagine a lot of people don't notice these things, but I thought it was it was pretty dumb because you're right. If Bill is that type of prepper, he wouldn't have lasted three months. Right. There are, you know, and I think a lot of people who are prepping are doing it for hobbies, or doing it for the aesthetic, or doing it just for you know a <laughs> hobby essentially. But there are the people who know a lot of shit and can get a lot of shit done and they've told me that bill is that guy maybe he just got so fucking gun nuts at the idea that these guys are coming to take his that he would like completely abandon all of his training and probably the hmm. scenarios he had in his and and, and call some wild hair but like i nah like he's nah. been waiting for this moment this yeah, this is it, his moment to shine all he's seen so far are infected they're taken out by his perimeter right, but now right right maybe but he didn't seem like that kind of guy no, it, it to me if it, it felt like a slight misstep. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing it does though that I like: Bill getting shot, and Frank taking him inside and trying to uh, keep him from bleeding out here. I, 
I think this is really good. At first watch, I didn't see the point in it. I'm like, well, if Bill's going to get shot, we're just going to cut 10 years in the future and he's going to be fine. Why have Bill get shot? The thing it shows me is that Bill has gone from worrying about his own survival to worrying about Frank's survival because in his final moments or what what you think are going to be his final moments, what he thinks will, he's concerned about protecting Frank. He wants Frank. He, he's left him a list of, of things. He knows where all the keys are. He, he's been thinking about this for a while. If I get killed, if I'm incapacitated in some way, Frank needs the ability to survive. And that means I've got an operation here, a procedure, and I want him to call Joel because he knows that Joel is just like him in a lot of, in yeah. the ways that matter. He can trust them in, like you said, the ways that matter. Yeah. And, and, and so I think it's it's really important here for Bill to think he's dying, even though we're going to find out three seconds later he's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk about this next sequence. Uh, it's 10 years later. It's now 2023. We're almost to current day, uh, just by maybe a week or so. Um, we're now 20 years in. Bill survived the gut shot, but now Frank is in a wheelchair and he's dying of cancer. Or, or sorry, die, dying of something. Uh, I, I think they said it's probably MS. That's kind of what I was guessing. Yeah, MLS, uh, ALS, some kind of degenerative neurological or muscle disease. Mm-hmm. Lou Gehrig's type of thing. Yeah, we see Joel taking care of him throughout the day. Um, Bill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that would be an entirely different scene. We see Bill taking care of Frank uh, throughout the day. The next morning, Frank tells Bill that he wants this to be his last day. And he lays out a plan for them to get dressed up, to get married, to eat a nice meal, and then have Bill crush up a lethal dose of his medication, put it in his wine. He'll drink it. They'll go to bed together. And Frank just won't wake up. And that's exactly what happens. With one minor twist, Bill also drinks the medicated wine. Now, when we go to the ad, make every shot count. We'll be back with more of Savage Starlight. We're not the cure for mankind, but we have your favorite podcast. Here's more of Savage Starlight. This is the warhead that the episode delivers um, because this is just extremely, it's, it's, you know, bittersweet. It's touching and and, and endearing and beautiful. I mean, that's the thing is like a lot of times in life, um, uh, I mean, almost all good love stories are going to end tragically because nobody's going to be live forever. Mm hmm. Um, and the extent of the pain is the extent of the love. And you can tell that, uh, there was a lot there and yeah. I just like it, you know, these old guys and, uh, Bill's kind of puttering around and, uh, he catches Frank looking at him as he's painting and he gives him a wink as he's watering flowers. It's just like, I just thought it was ex- extremely cute. And like that Bill's probably clearly scared to death because even mm-hmm. if they don't do the Frank option, you can see the end is clear and it's, it's so poignant because in the other scene, Bill was worried about getting old before Frank. Yep. And now here suddenly Frank is wasting away. Um, and just how Bill goes through like this compressed grief cycle where he's trying to be in denial about, well, what if we find a doctor and all this other yeah. ridiculous yeah. things to try to like talk Frank out of. Um, and then Frank's yeah, like, you know, you've, you've given me a lot of good days and I want you to give me one more. And I want you to love me the way I want you to. And it's great 
there's these, you know, this montage of all the paintings. I think it's funny. It's just all Bill. I think there's maybe one of Joel, but like there's just like a dozen paintings of 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 Bill and like the montage that they show you of their strawberry patch and Frank's hole. That I think it's funny that um, Bill never filled in. Like it's like some kind of like inside joke or you know thing that they like to walk past and like imagine it all started down here kind of like (laughs) you know like the first place you meet your sweetheart you go back and revisit on your anniversaries i thought that was a kind of a touching detail sure and the marriage ceremony oh my god at the piano like all this stuff is the last you know i mean the last time i can remember music having this big of an impact on the visuals is the last of us I'm sorry. Sure. Is the leftovers? God oh, damn. Okay, okay. It's the, 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 the leftovers of us. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because like all this is like this this sequence, this montage is not set to anything but the the music and um that that mournful guitar and what they do with the uh, the the arrangement of long long time. It's it's pretty mm-hmm. pretty amazing. It it definitely worked on me. Um. Absolutely. Craig Mazin mentioned that he's seen this scene probably 200 times in editing and it gets him teared up every single time. And I kind of believe it. Yeah. Yeah. How could it not? Uh, the, the thing that gets me to uh, like one of the big moments, uh, which is actually a very small moment is Frank trying to keep up his smile during the dinner as that, as that bottle of wine is coming out, they, they, uh, Bill leaves the room or turns his back and Frank kind of lets the smile drop. He's like, am I going to do, I, this is it. This is the moment. And then when Bill turns around, that smile comes back because he doesn't want, I, I don't know. I, I think he's, he's trying to keep up a, a light heart for Bill this entire time. Cause he knows how painful this is for Bill. He's trying to ease that pain a bit. Yeah, I think there's maybe a little bit of him being afraid to go because, oh, yeah. like, that's uh-huh. got there's got to be something there that's like you know, it's like because he's worried. This is about the it moment it's enough. becoming real. I mean, the, right. the wine is being put in front of him, right? This right. Is... Like, do I is this my last? This was such like you know, that's a paradox of um, right. having that last good day. Is like I just had a good day tomorrow. I could, could have like more, mm-hmm. but I also could like you know get worse and worse and worse. And this is I I wish that this is you know I could have gone out with the dignity I had on today. It's yeah, yeah. like end of life decisions are they're complicated, and, and it's all there in his expression in that one moment. Yes, and I think that's that's the beauty of it is how subtle it is too. It's not hitting you over the head with big exposition or something. Um, yeah, again, Murray Bartlett was uh, really uh, knocked it out of the park. Yeah, and. We talked about this in instant take, but I think the aging makeup was really good on both of these guys. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, Frank looked extra beleaguered because, like, you know, this disease has probably you know caught him up to to Bill in a way. And you know, Nick Offerman looked like you know in the first scene, like when the sun's hitting him, and you just see his like white kind of hair. It's like very Santa Clausy, and yeah, and they put uh, like uh, you know just uh, made the skin a little uh, less smooth, but some deep, some deep crease wrinkles some mm-hmm. maybe liver spots or something Who dark knows? smudges just... around the eyes some sunken sunken eyes and yeah. just the, the way they reverse that that scene the the first dinner he runs that back and except mm-hmm. for at the end of the table with all this distance and things unspoken between them now they just it's, they has got this mature love mm-hmm. uh i liked how bill revealed now i 
I think Frank knew it as soon as Bill drains his glass. Like yep. he knows him enough to realize that there's been a little bit of hoodwinking going on and he drinks it in the exact know. same manner as Frank does. That that resigned this is it. I'm going to drink it so fast I can't turn back. Yeah, apparently yeah, this Frank is knows. a reference to uh, a play. This this line about uh, this is not the tragic suicide at the end of the play. This is a reference to a play that Craig Mazin saw when I, I guess it was like you know, I think it's like I, I understand it's like 20 years ago, some off Broadway thing where you know there's a lot of mm-hmm. obviously AIDS and going through that, and there is a lot of like you know people dying tragically at the end of these you know uh, plays about gay men, mm-hmm. and I guess one character says, "No, don't worry, this isn't a tragic suicide, this isn't a tragic death in the end of the play," and him saying, "This isn't a Romeo and Juliet thing. I'm old. I am mm-hmm. satisfied. You are my purpose." And if you can choose to go out with, uh, with without pain and dignity, then I can too. And the way they got to like uh, like laughing about it, you know, because yeah, what the fuck is Frank going to say? Uh, right. And it's acknowledging the fact that it is incredibly romantic because it's not not Romeo and Juliet, right? Sure, sure. Uh, and it's yeah, it's uh, the 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 waterworks turn on as surely as. As Bill's propane defense. Uh-huh. Um, also, in this moment, another thing that was going through my head is like, wait, both of these guys are dead. I know that the radio turned on and they yeah. were playing 80s music as if there was trouble. How is that possible, uh, given the time frame? And we're going to find out. I'm, I'm very happy the episode told us because yes. I did not want that to be a lingering question sure. uh, or just an oversight. God, that would have been mm-hmm. terrible. Uh, but yeah, then we we flash back to or flash forward, I guess, a few days to current day, where Joel and Ellie enter Lincoln or Billville, and discover that Bill and Frank are dead. Uh, Bill left Joel a note telling him what happened and urging him to raid his stash and use his supplies to keep Tess safe. He also left him a key to his truck, so Joel agrees to take Ellie with him to find Tommy because Tommy used to be a firefly and might know where they are, but only if Ellie agrees to three rules: a don't talk about trauma club B <laughs> don't tell anyone about your condition and see what I say goes. So Joel and Ellie proceed to raid Bill's stash during which time Joel makes a battery for the truck, takes a shower. Ellie finds a gun and hides it in her bag. And then they drive out of town with Linda Ronstan on the radio. Yeah. Um, yo, this feels very much like a epilogue, you know, to what we just saw. Uh, but there's a couple important things. I, I know a lot of gamers excited to see Ellie, you know, put on the actual T-shirt from the game. Okay. I was excited yeah. to see them rocking the 90 degree trademark Last of Us flashlights on their backpack straps, you know. Nice. Um, and just like I, this Pedro's doing a lot of subtle work, like where he's overcome by the fact, you know, like it, it's been something he's been thinking about. But Bill kind of like from the grave accusing him of failing mm-hmm. at his job. The one thing is the, the, yeah. Yeah, that makes life worth living. You fucked up. And he has to go out to the front yard to think about it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's potentially being given yet another opportunity, right? And that's both yeah. attractive to him, I think, um, but also very scary. A heavy responsibility for sure. Yeah. I, I love the moment they the very first moment of this when they get through the gate and they walk up to the house. There's a shot there that lingers on the flowers, 
and mm. you can see that the flowers are dying and you can see mm. Joel noticing that the flowers are dying mm. and he's like oh yeah Frank there's something wrong with Frank because Frank would never let that happen and it's just a nice little moment of like you get the impression that he's really gotten to know these people over the years yeah there's a lot of other I, I didn't uh, you reminded me of other little things that they show kind of like storytelling like for example when we see them flash forward after Joel has the conversation about the aluminum clearly he's sold him a couple of aluminum uh, spools but you also see a big section of the fence that's been replaced by wrecked automobiles and stuff yeah like Frank's like I don't need your goddamn tin spools but I'll take three off you. <laughs> and he's kind of like he's like yeah it's like uh-huh. I, I trust but he doesn't want to get over in debt with them there's like little subtle kind of storytelling I think with their with the with them doing the environments mm-hmm. um but yeah and I also thought like you know his him playing like when he sees this vehicle and he gets it open there's no battery and him oh, just like you know just like God. being like Jesus Christ I can't <laughs> and then ah uh, there's I bet Bill's got something he does this motherfucker's got the constituent components of a battery that you would need Dude, this is to, also to, a very effective like the club for your car right like a, a theft deterrent device because who the fuck is going to be able to build a battery out of components right, right. Uh, uh, A at all but B in time to steal your truck when you break in yeah it's uh, it's really it, I, I thought that was really funny that they kind of like do this uh, fake out with the audience and, and Joel and Joel comes back like that's like the I guess like also I thought there was this kind of um, the ghost of tests like can't you just accept that we get a win once because I think that battery gives him like clarity he goes in he's like let me see your arm all right it's healing okay I'm now locked in you know I've got a uh-huh. plan I've got a vehicle I've got a ver- a, guarant- uh, a verified messiah girl and by God I'm going to at least get her to Tommy to see if I can fo- fo- foist her onto him. Uh, yeah. and, be- and best of all, she's cool with the plan, so we're, we're good to go. <laughs> oh, she says she's cool with the plan. I, Dude, if you think she's going to just go along with everything you say on this journey, yeah. mm, you're a little naive. Uh, I do think Joel... Oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I, I love a couple of the, the bookends of this episode you know with another shopping spree here this time it's in bill's stash bill's done the shopping spree and now they do the shopping spree within his supermarket here um and and this suggestion of like joel going to take a shower i think is both you know real world it makes a lot of sense he probably smells pretty bad too um but b i think it thematically connects bill and joel even more um Mm -hmm. You know, Bill was told to go take a shower when, like, he was first embarking on a relationship with someone. And I think Joel is doing kind of the same thing here, or he's having the same experience. Different kind of love, but definitely some kind of relationship is forming here. And I got that impression throughout this episode, which is why I don't understand why people are so... Why why certain people are so up in arms about, like, well, this, this... it doesn't give us enough time with Joel and Ellie. They're not going to be able to bond them only three episodes in. I'm not getting antsy. What I'm feeling is they are doing a lot of very efficient yeah. bonding of these two characters. It's moments like the Linda Ronstan. It's moments like Joel just explaining how the apocalypse started. Those types of moments are really making me feel like there is something happening between these two that's that's causing Joel to feel like he needs to protect her. Yeah. I think it's coming from a lot of people who are um, 
like inexperienced media watchers like if you like i feel like that's like a criticism only a game sure. fan would make because that implies that you're a little bit younger it also implies like if you're a hardcore gamer you probably play video games much more than you watch like prestige dramas and things like that so like you only have so much time yeah yeah, you don't have so much time. You're playing games six to eight hours a day, then you're not gonna have time to, to watch a lot of TV. And you you know it's it's stereotype. But I think it's accurate. The type of uh, stuff that video really hardcore video game people watch is probably more along the lines of anime and like science fiction, fantasy, comic book stuff, and like slower, deliberate storytelling paces. Even though you subconsciously appreciate that about the the Last of Us. Um, this is the first significant deviation and the fact mm-hmm. that it took you away from your favorites, your POV characters from the game. I could see that being antsy if you're, you know, in your, you know, anywhere from your teens to mid to late twenties that like, Oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It's Craig Mason. I don't, I know this, this might be, a, this, they might be shit in the bed at my favorite video. I can, I can, I can see it, but yeah, I just look ahead and I see a reaction. Oh, we, yeah. we have six more episodes. where they could potentially be together and bonding like i don't need every episode to be that yeah yeah uh but but even then if i don't need every episode to be it this episode is still that they're doing so much with the like roughly 30 minutes of screen time because it's a lot it's a lot of screen time that joel and ellie actually get in this episode if you watch it yeah it's more bill and frank but it's still quite a bit of joel and ellie right and that's the other quintessential thing about their relationship is like her fascination with him being kind of a living fossil mm-hmm. of a bygone time, you know, uh, yeah. her getting in a like car the planes like and- the oh, shitty. Yes. Yeah. The, 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 this plane was a great scene. Cause like, you know, like, of course she would be impressed that you were in the sky motherfucker. And um, he's not, he's just like, yeah, I had to sit next to some dude yeah, who snored got, and had his I got in the middle seat and paid 15 off, bucks like, for a shit sandwich. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And a and a four year old was kicking the back of my seat the entire flight. Mm-hmm. It was hell, and she's just like amazed. You were in the air, man. Sure, I can never experience that. Right. Uh, and the same with the car. The car scene. I think you were about to mention this. Yeah, with the, the, the seatbelt treats this this shitty S ten like it's a literal <laughs> spaceship because to her, right. like like a clean house and well working order is a miracle to her because she's yes. never seen something that isn't like Mad Max levels of dilapidated and this working vehicle with like air conditioning and music players and stuff like it must seem like a magic thing uh the fact that, that she doesn't, doesn't even know, know what how a seat to put on a seat yeah. exactly exactly She's like, it's oh, like going so cool yeah and like there's a little bit like you know like when I was a kid you know my granddad the house he grew up didn't have central plumbing you know he still had electricity because hmm. he's not that old um, uh-huh. And like my son is sometimes fascinated at the idea of life before the internet and smartphones. Oh yeah. Like how did you get a, like, you know, when, when you didn't have Google maps, what did you do? It's like, well, we used real maps or we just kind of knew where to go. And that's like, but this is like, this is a unique opportunity where it's like, literally you went to back in time or to mm-hmm. another dimension where the way of life that Joel knew and Sarah knew is something that Ellie can't even conceive. I I love when you see yeah. those moments where Ellie they, they 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 see this 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 wonder, you know. And in the case of an airplane, something they'll never get back to in her lifetime. Probably is, is not. the crazy thing. Yeah, I, I mean maybe if if they miraculously like cure this thing or something, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, chances are she'll never get to experience that stuff. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I love it. Um, Joel's a big Linda Ronstan fan too, apparently. 
he's he's telling her all about it. I learned some things about uh, Linda Ronstant. She was apparently, I, th- I think we would have got along. I don't know. She was, uh, she called herself a spiritual atheist. She was an early uh-huh. gay rights activist, marriage equality activist. Uh, I, I found that she was, has a pretty high profile series of boyfriends. She was dating uh, Jerry Brown, who was California governor in, back in the 70s. Sure. She dated Jim Carrey for a while. And she was engaged. No shit. To, and she was engaged to George Lucas. Wow, <laughs> this is wild. That I is no quite idea. the cross section, right? Right. So I don't know. She, um, yeah, that's why. Like when I was when I was talking in the instant take about like Linda Ronstadt kind of being uh, a thing where you're like, oh, okay, now I see Bill's gay. Uh, she like she was a big, bit yeah, gay rights activist. Icon. So like. Yeah, a lot of a lot of it's like the Carpenters. If if you tell me a man is a, f- a big fan of the Carpenters, like like maybe too big a fan of the Carpenters to be straight, I'm like, okay, yeah, he's he's probably gay. <laughs> I'm a pretty big fan of Carpenters, Jim. Oh yeah, uh, all right. So they also end at the Bill and Frank's bedroom window, which is this. They went yes. in as a podcast that their intention was to have each episode open on a window. To kind of like, because that's the game start screen. When you load up The Last of Us, it has this, you know, post-apocalyptic looking window with the sun coming through it and this like drape blown in the breeze and like a tendril of green that's kind of growing through it. Um, And they wanted to have that kind of motif. And you can kind of see they never could quite get it to to where it wasn't like too much of a showy kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And they also, I guess, wanted to like, uh, they thought it'd be really cool if like when you played the episode, if it sat there until you hit the play button and it would say like, plus pet pray, press play to continue to give that. But they're like, ah, that's kind of silly. But you do see where some of this window imagery has continued to come. So they, they didn't use it that way, but they had the shots and they were able, and this is, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think it felt very the last of us. I love it. They should have compromised. They should have done that for the very first episode. Mm. Uh, yeah. And then not do it for this. Cause I think it would get old by the time. Like, God, I just watched like trailers where I had to skip. I just watched a theme intro where I had to skip. And now you want me to press play to start your damn episode again. Mm. Yeah. That would have been interactive. Annoying. But on the first it, one. Yeah. I think you could have. I feel like there's ways to do that. Like there's been some sticky kind of like didn't the Watchmen always have some kind of shtick that it opened with. That was like a comic book cover, or a particular way they did things. There, there's ways I, I think you can do that. I know that like Invincible always had the logo splash and it got bloodier and bloodier as the season went on. Um, yeah. I think you can do it, but yeah, like it's making cool idea, people but... play double clutch to play button might be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> might be a lot. Uh, what else we got to talk about? I think that's it, man. What a good episode. Okay. Well, if you got some feedback, we still have a little bit more coverage of episode three by the end of the week, uh, Thursday in particular, we'll be recording a feedback episode. So make sure you get that in early on Thursday morning, Wednesday night, preferably uh, to TLU, T-L-O-U at baldmove.com. That stands for the last of us, of course, TLU at baldmove.com. Anything you send in there, uh, as time permits, we will consider. Um, we'll probably also have a spore lore section. I imagine if, uh, if there's uh, questions that, uh, uh, deal with the second video game or, you know, the later video game events. Um, and then we'll be doing this again on Sunday night. Now, Jim will be with the Sunday cause, uh, Saturday and Sunday, Jim and I are doing our 24 hour groundhog day 
mm-hmm. movie watching m- marathon. We're going to watch every movie in the Fast and Furious franchise in order of release. It's going to take us 24 hours to get through. We're going to be raising money for the Cure Owls Foundation. And Jim's going to be sad, sound asleep. The way I work, yeah. I usually take essentially like a six-hour nap, and I get up for a couple hours, and I go back to sleep. So oh. in that period of wakefulness, I'm going to conduct a podcast. Uh, I got my buddy Anthony from the Hot D slash Bukaloo uh, coverage. He has been watching this show and is a big fan uh, he'll be he'll be substituting in for Jim, but we will have our live reaction podcast out Sunday night. Uh, you're welcome to join us if you want to be a club member. Club or I'm sorry, support.baldmove.com if you want to join the club. And of course, all club existing club members invited to join us. Watch live or enjoy the instant talk, instant take podcast afterwards. That's our plans for this week. I can't wait to see episode four, and we'll see you then. Until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. Later.